Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into a passage from the New Testament book of John, but before we do, it's time for... Listener Feedback! Okay, so the first piece of feedback that we have uh, is from a listener. His name's David. He said, since Bible Savvy has six readings each week, I listen to the podcast Sunday morning during my quiet time. I really enjoy the personal touch about things going on in your lives. It gives a face to the podcast, and I've grown by hearing your various takes on the readings, especially the observations. All right. Well, I've got another piece of feedback from a listener named Jill, or as I like to call her, Mom. Mom. And she... she <laughs> she says, uh, first she describes how uh, after she does her devotions, she will listen to uh, the podcast or sometimes when she's driving in the car or sometimes my dad and my mom, they listen together at dinner. Uh, but then she says this, I hate to admit it, but I laugh every week at something, which I think is a jab at the maturity of our humor. So I think that's what I mean. She says, I love Nikki's little remarks when you two boys are saying stuff. I think the winner though has to be the piddle around the yard episode. I also laugh at Clayton making fun of us. I must say it seems that I'm the object of the amusement more than his father. Now, I want to I wanna say that I'm equal opportunity here. It was dad's rule that I couldn't wear socks, or I couldn't have bare feet. So that was all <laughs> on him. So uh, we, we'll, it, it, we'll, I'll, I'll make sure to spread it around. She says, glad I can oblige. Uh, I have been a, Bi- uh, a Bible studier all my life, and I've learned some good tools that I've used, but the very fact that you do the process each week really cements the ideas in our minds and helps to see the passage in new ways. Even if my son was not the one doing it, I think it's a good way to study God's word. You guys all make it fun and bring Jesus joy as you use your gifts to teach others. Keep up the good work. So thanks, mom. Love you. I love how she said, you boys. You boys. You two boys. You boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right, because I, I call them boys all the time. You do call us boys. I do. And did your mom say Jesus joy? Yeah, we bring Jesus joy. She's saying, you don't just make oh, me happy. Oh, we bring like joy to Jesus. Yeah, she's she saying, wasn't call- I, I think Jesus is happy. And what okay. you doing? So that's, that's okay. a nice thing. I thought she was coining a phrase. Jesus like joy. we Like we do the podcast with Jesus joy. Yeah, oh, okay. Which, no, no. which then I was scared that Nikki was going to suggest that we create another t-shirt. <laughs> oh. And I was going to have to object to a t-shirt that said Jesus joy. <laughs> oh, that would be, that'd be odd. All right, comma guy. Yeah, I'm comma guy today, and we are in the Gospel of John, so we're going to be in John chapter 3, and often we pick what we think would be the trickiest or most difficult passage in this week's reading, but this week we actually picked the passage because of its familiarity. See, sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we feel like we're familiar with what we're reading, and so we don't really dig in and use the comma method or really think well about it, because sometimes familiarity just makes us a little bit lazy in how we read the Bible. And so John 3.16, obviously one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, even if you're not a Bible reader, you have seen people hold up signs at football games, and so you wondered what that was, so you Googled it, and you found out what John 3.16 says. So we're in, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and for context, because this is the first podcast where we're talking about the Gospel of John, let's just set up some context for what this Gospel is, and I will start with what a Gospel is. So we have four Gospels in the New Testament. Uh, And they are four different accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus. And each gospel writer is writing their gospel in a way to accomplish a certain purpose. 
And so we have a, it's not just a hint. We actually have John, the writer of the Gospel of John, that tells us exactly why he wrote his gospel. And so Clayton is going to read that. Yeah, so this is at, toward the end of the gospel in John 20, uh, verse 30 and 31. He, he sums it up this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, like the things that I wrote down, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that is John's purpose for writing his gospel. Now, in a very basic way, here's what a gospel is. The four gospels tell us what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, and how people responded to him. And so as you're reading a gospel, every gospel is inviting you to consider Jesus by seeing what he did, hearing what he taught, and then also seeing how different groups of people respond to what he does and what he teaches. So that, in a nutshell, is what a gospel is. And we are in the Gospel of John. And so we're going to pick this up in chapter 3. And Clayton is going to read that for us. And we're going to read through verse 21. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born, born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh give gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. All right, so here we have an interaction between Nicodemus, who is identified as a Pharisee. So a little bit more context here so we know who's, who's talking to who. Um, we have Jesus, who is the point of the entire gospel. Uh, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, which means uh, he would have been of the upper class, conservative in his beliefs, um, and he seems to be interested in Jesus' teaching. And it seems like maybe his interest in Jesus' teaching is because some of the things he has seen Jesus do. Uh, 
So here we have somebody who is of a particular belief system uh, and now is seeing this guy Jesus do some things and say some things that are in some ways probably curious or uh, different, challenging. And so he has some questions and he seems to be genuine in in his questions. Yeah, it comes across yeah. if you're used to other conversations where it feels like someone's arguing, pushing back against Jesus, he, he feels genuinely curious and confused, you know, like he's yep. really trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know? He was, he was asking questions to gain understanding, not to challenge Jesus. Yeah. All right. So this is the kind of conversation that we're reading. And so now let's move on to observation. What do you see in this text? Well, I think that the first thing that I noticed, um, we kind of talked about already was just he he was a Pharisee who was recognizing that Jesus actually came from God. He says that we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. But if I if I think back to like the the other times that we've seen the Pharisees mentioned in the the interactions that they had with Jesus, like they were not very like they did not believe that about him. They didn't think that he he came from God. Um, and so when he says like, we know that you are a teacher, I'm wondering if it's like, is he just saying we, like this like collective we, but he's actually just talking about him? Or is it more like, no, we actually know. The Pharisees actually know that there's something special about you, but they don't want to admit it because that would mean something, a drastic change, you know what I mean, in their belief system. Uh, but, but I did think that was interesting is a Pharisee recognizing that Jesus came from God, which was not something that we see in the rest of the Gospels. And it, and it might be possible to recognize that someone is sent from God, but mm-hmm. in Jesus' case, he is God he is himself, God, yeah. son of God, eternal son of God, right? So yeah. prophets were sent from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes political leaders or rescuers were sent from God. And so I think he's recognizing there's something about Jesus, but isn't fully sure exactly who Jesus is, Yep. right? What else do we see? Uh, I see the repeated image of birth or being born again. So there's this uh, metaphor there, although it's interesting. Uh, Nicodemus does not react like it's a metaphor. He, at first, he tries to take it very literally, um, which kind of feels kind of ridiculous. Um, although, I, you know, if, if, uh, having read, you know, the readings before this, like, th- this is not the first time, and it, it won't be the last time, when someone takes something that Jesus uses as a, a metaphor to talk about spiritual things in a very literal way. Like, the, the previous story talked about, um, Jesus said, you know, if you destroy the temple and rebuild it, um, I'll, do, I'll do it in three days. And he's really talking about his body, but they thought, well, literally, you can't build a building that fast or whatever. So there's this like kind of confusion of he's trying to talk about something spiritual, something profound, using this metaphor of you know being born, giving birth. Um, but it's it's creating confusion for Nicodemus at first. I see the word uh, spirit a lot. So as we're making observations, right? It's the you're looking for treats, which is themes. Repeating words, truths about God, and something striking, right? That's the, that's the acronym we use. So I, I see the word spirit popping up a lot. Uh, one of something striking that I noticed was that, that um, Jesus actually compares himself to a snake. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and so this goes, he says in, in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And if we think back to that story, so help me remember this, guys. Like, so like the Israelites did something that... that God didn't like, right? So he sent a bunch of snakes and some people got bit. And then in order to save the people from dying, from getting bit by the snakes, Moses took this staff and like, he, like or not, God said like, put this up 
hold this staff up, and like people, if they look at it, they'll be healed. They'll be okay. They'll live. And is that's is that right? Yeah, that's the story. Yeah. You don't really need our help to figure. And so do essentially, he's saying like, no, in order for people to to live to have eternal life, I'm going to be lifted up in the same way. Too is it? Is that yeah. essentially what he's saying? Yeah, I wonder. What, I wonder what other connections. So there's the the. All right, you're going to be. He's going to literally be lifted up. He's going to go on a cross. Right. And people are going to look to him and be saved. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder. So like the Israelites, they were. They were they were grumbling, right? Like God was trying to do something with them, say something to them, and they were resistant. Like they were in the wilderness and they didn't want to follow or do what they, you know, they were complaining that God, you know, was misleading them. And that was part of what set it off, right? So I I wonder if there's a little bit of a both that this is what I'm like. I'm going to rescue you, but you got to realize what you're like. Like what, mm-hmm. you know, the the people who are hearing me are like they're they're kind of resisting like the you know the people in Moses' day were doing you know, yeah. but it's a weird it's a weird reference. It's, it's definitely weird. I just wanted to highlight that because that was just weird. It's know? it's one of those things that if you like part of the value of doing reading the whole Bible and kind of systematically working through it is that some of these sorts of things you you can actually tell the story because you you know we recently read Numbers and mm-hmm. and, and it came up so you get more familiar with some of these references even in familiar passages. Starting in verse 16, we see Jesus being identified as God's son, which might have been interesting. I don't, as you're reading this, Nicodemus is asking questions, isn't quite sure exactly who Jesus is, is identifying him as sent from God. But John, the writer of the gospel, is identifying Jesus as the son of God sent by the father. So that's a, something striking to me. Yeah, we're, we get so used to saying that, you know, oh, the Son of God, Son of God. Like, it would have been a very startling thing to be, to be thinking about that. Uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of mentions of eternal life um, and then kind of the opposite, uh, perishing, um, uh, being condemned. And so there's kind of this contrast. You're, you're either going to have eternal life and enter the kingdom of God or you're going to uh, uh, perish uh, and, and, and be condemned. Yeah, and then I think connected with that is that whole lot, contrast between light and dark, you know, good, evil. I, I think there's a statement in that part that is is striking, uh, where it says, um, "Okay, where let me find it here." Um, People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That is that to me is striking because I don't think that's a story we tell ourselves. Like I I tend to think, for myself, like well I I, I generally want good things right, and I think most people think. Well, the things I'm I'm motivated by, those are good things or whatever. Like, we don't tend to think of ourselves as people who love darkness rather than light. We say, no, I'd rather be in the light. Um, And Jesus, I think, is poking at something that, like, is a hard thing to admit about ourselves, that actually we kind of want to hide. Actually, we have desires that aren't aren't good, and we'd rather be in the darkness a lot of times. It's why my wife hates hardwood floors. What? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Thanks for asking, Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in our previous house, we had mostly carpet. And now we live in a house that has mostly hardwood floors. And everything shows up on hardwood floors. So you have to clean your hardwood floors regularly. Carpet, it pretty much hides the funk, right? And if you have like a brown or darker carpet, now the funk is just like you can't see it. You don't know how gross <laughs> your carpets are. Uh, un- until you actually go in and like steam clean a carpet, you don't know how foul it is, right? Uh-huh. 
people are kind of the same way. We kind of like the darkness because we can't see all the funk, right? But when the light comes, all of a sudden you see everything for what it really is. And I think that's probably what Jesus is saying a little bit here is uh, people tend to like the darkness because it hides the funk. But as soon as the light comes, it, it reminds me also of uh, there was a period in my life where I was working for my brother's real estate company, managed about 450 or so properties. And so when a tenant moves out, you, you have to go in and get the, get the unit ready for the, the next renters. And sometimes these units were just foul. <laughs> Right. And so there'd be times where I'd go in and I'd turn on the light and you see all the cockroaches just running, oh, it, no. running oh, no. everywhere. No, no. I think I think we're more like cockroaches than <laughs> if you all could see Nikki's face right now talking about I'm not even gonna say the word again. No. See what happens to her face. Cockroaches? No. no? Okay. Not even. I'm just gonna hide my face now. Uh what uh, what else do we see here? Uh, there is uh, mentions of believing. So the, the distinguishing thing, uh, verse 15, everyone who believes may have eternal life. Uh, verse 18, believe, whoever believes. Verse 16, the, the classic one, whoever believes. Uh, that seems to be kind of the, the key marker here. And uh, when, when Jesus talks about you got to be born again, like when he actually says what, what, what makes that happen, belief, uh, faith, uh, trust in Jesus seems to be the, the key thing. One thing I got to say too, you see Jesus say, very truly, I tell you. Very truly, I tell you. Very truly, I tell you. That's like a repeating thing throughout the, the course of the book. Like if you literally go through, and I've done this in my Bible where I've highlighted every single time he said, very truly, I tell you. And I'm just like, gosh, he, just making that statement, like I am telling you the truth. Like listen to what I have to say. Yeah. It's just, it's so, I just, when, I love that. When someone has to say something like that, it, it, it means one of two things. It either means well, maybe they're lying and they're kind of overcompensating or you really are dense. <laughs> like like the, the person listening, it's like, don't you hear I'm telling you something true and important? Why? Like, mm-hmm. please get it, you know? And I think, I think that's what Jesus is doing. I should say that to my kids more. <laughs> truly, truly, very truly. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, you're about to die. Oh, gosh. All right, so let me, let me ask you this question before we move on to meditation or message whichever one we do first today. Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse three, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Nicodemus is confused and asks, what are you saying? I can't crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again. And then Jesus, okay, so you would expect that Jesus' answer is explaining what he meant because Nicodemus is confused. But Jesus' response to me seems equally confusing. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. What does he mean by that? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So he says you have to be born of, first he says you have to be born again. Then he says you have to be born of water and the spirit, which in some ways I think he's describing what he means by being born again. But then he starts talking about the wind blowing wherever it wants to blow. So let's talk about this for a few minutes because I think this is probably the portion that if someone's reading John chapter 3 gets a little bit cryptic. Well, um, I wonder if, if the, the sort of big picture, he's contrasting. So Nicodemus has just like talked about 
biological birth, right? And so there are some, there's some part of what Jesus is doing is contrasting biological birth with what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So when he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, I think, I think he's saying, look, the, like the kind of birth you're talking about, like a human being, a, you know, a, a, flesh, a person of flesh gives, <laughs> gives birth to a, a, a human. But then he wants to say, there, there's some other kind of birth that comes from God's spirit. And so he's saying there's something, there's something that we're not, I'm not talking about a literal physical thing. I'm talking about something that comes uh, uh, from God's spirit doing something inside uh, of someone else's spirit. And so uh, I think even if the details get lost on you, starting with that is a, is a helpful thing. Um, with the water and spirit thing, that's, that's, there, it's a little bit of a debate. So um, sometimes people will look at that and they'll say, born of water and the spirit. And they'll say, oh, that's the kind of baptism kind of reference. You know, you get uh, baptized in water, um, and that's like a public symbol of you surrendering to Christ and and new life in Him. Um, And then uh, a part of coming to to faith in Christ is the Holy Spirit uh, comes on a person, comes to live inside people. And uh, and so the Bible talks about that as a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so these are two concepts there. Or it may just be another way of contrasting birth of water was like kind of a physical thing, um, you know, the, the actual birth from your mother uh, versus the, the spiritual uh, birth that he's talking about. Either of those might be viable options. Yeah, so if water is talking about physical birth and spirit talking about spiritual birth, that would be one way to read it. Another way would be to put water and the spirit together like they're the same thing. So he says you have to be born of water and spirit. Like he's not talking about two different things. He's talking about one thing referring to you know John the Baptist telling people to repent and be baptized. So it's the same act, right? If you repent of your sin and you're born of the Spirit, you're, you're born again into the kingdom of God. So either way, either way you read this, Jesus is obviously talking about something that happens on the inside of, of a person that allows entrance into the kingdom of God which would have been different than a Pharisee. Remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee who's thinking all of the things I do on the outside are what make me good with God. If I conform to these rules, if I obey all these things, which is what we were learning in the Old Testament, right? Obey all, do all these things, obey all this stuff. But now what Nicodemus is hearing is there's some other way to enter the kingdom of God, which would have been terribly confusing, I have to imagine, for Nicodemus. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen, where it says that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come; the old is gone; the new is here. It's like, well, I'm still the same person outwardly. I were, I wasn't born again, but there was some sort of transformation on the inside that happened to me uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit when I surrendered my life to Jesus. I became a new creation. I was this new person, not because I was born again, but just because there was a transformation that happened on the inside. Yeah, there, there's something. So when we talk about that that beginning of your, uh, you know, relationship with God, your your life in Christ, there's something really dramatic about that. Like that's part of the the thing that Jesus is highlighting. It's as dramatic as being born. Like like that's we people talk about being born again. Like it's just some sort of you know vague you know, religious experience, but the image itself is very dramatic. Same thing with um, the image of being baptized in water. It's meant to say, it's like you were buried and dead and then came back to life. Mm -hmm. Like there is something that is not just sort of an incremental, yeah, you kind of, you know, you just slowly self-improved. Like you've got to be transformed and it's going to take the spirit of God to do that. 
And so that's, I think that that second half of that portion where it says the wind blows wherever it pleases, um, the, the wind is an image of the Holy Spirit. He, he, it's a, a, a powerful force that you're not in control of um, that comes and moves in, in these mysterious ways. That, that's what it's like on the inside of someone who is born again, coming into a relationship with Jesus. The phrase always reminds me of my brother, because I'm the youngest of five kids, and there's a year and a half between all of us. So if you go up the line a year and a half apart, my brother's eight years older than I am. So when he left the house to go into the military, I was only in fourth grade. So I didn't know my brother really well. The only thing I knew was that he got in a lot of fights with my dad, and he did a lot of bad things, but I didn't even know what bad things because I was in fourth grade. What did I know, right? And then at some point, my brother starts calling home saying that he had become what he was calling a born-again Christian. And we're like, what in the world is he talking about? Because we were a Catholic family, right? And so I didn't, I didn't know what he meant. Uh, I, can't, I obviously came to learn what he meant, right? Because I have since come to, come to faith in Jesus. Um, but sometimes, Clayton, you were saying people identify themselves as born-again Christians born again, like it's like kind of like a label, like uh, I'm a soccer player. Or I like tennis. Well, I'm a born again Christian. I, you know, I'm like, but it's way more than just a label. And in fact, it's probably worth saying to be a Christian, you have to be born again, right? In, in some ways it is a, it is a redundant thing to say a born again Christian. Every Christian is born again. Yeah. A second life, a second birth. So then let's go down here, ask one more question here before we go to meditation and or message, depending on, again, which way we choose to do that first today. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. When you read that verse, how do you react to it? Or how do you think Nicodemus would have reacted to it? I think considering that he was a Pharisee, um, just hearing those words that they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, they could have believed that Jesus was a good teacher, but for him to be the Son of God was, I feel like, pretty controversial back then. And so I think if... Nicodemus is hearing that as a Pharisee saying, wait, if I, if, so you're saying you're God's son and I have to believe in you. If not, I stand condemned. Like, what am I going to do with that? Think about the idea of, okay. So when we think about being condemned, usually think I've got to do something wrong and get in trouble. And then I get condemned. You don't like, there's a neutral state of like, I'm not in trouble, right? I haven't done anything. And, but to say, actually, just standing still right there, right then and there, you're already condemned. Like you start in the, the position of, I stand condemned already. That's a, that's a, that is not how we like to think of ourselves. It's sort of like the loving darkness thing. It's like, it's not the story we're telling ourselves about our life that actually, if, if uh, something doesn't happen, I'm already, I've got a verdict hanging over my head that I cannot escape and, and I'm condemned. It's, it's bad. I'm gonna get in trouble, and so um, to like it's a it's a startling thing for Nicodemus, who's a, a teacher of God's word, and he's a religious you know leader of some sort. He's he's got to say, "Hang on, you're telling me that God has condemned me." Mm-hmm. That that's a that's a transformation of his self image. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, so when you're looking when you're looking at the text, their conversation ends at verse 15, right? So Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus and he's telling Nicodemus, "You have to be born again." I think the confusing thing possibly to Nicodemus would be, "Oh, okay, you're 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 shifting paradigms here for me." Because up to this point as a religious teacher, what I've always understood is obedience to the law doing all of these outward things are what make me right with God. But you're telling me to enter the kingdom of God, to be right with God, to have eternal life. I have to be born again. So they're having this whole conversation. What do you mean by that? In verse 16 now, John, the gospel writer, this isn't Jesus and Nicodemus's conversation anymore. It is John, the gospel writer. And remember, John's whole goal, we already read it. Clayton read it earlier, is he recorded these things so that we might believe in Jesus and have eternal life. So now John, who has given us a peek into this conversation, tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, right? So remember, Gospels are introducing us to Jesus. They tell us who, what he did, what he taught, and how people responded to him. And I think what's going on right here is John is starting to like prime the pump to get the reader of the Gospel to start to get the reader thinking, how are you responding to Jesus? Because if you don't respond in the right way, you already are on the outside looking in. So as Clayton said, there is no neutral. So for our meditation today, let's start with meditation, and then we'll move on to message next. I just want to read this verse again, and let's think about it prayerfully for 45 seconds. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. All right, now before we move on to message, uh, I think we need to clarify something here that might be confusing. So if you are reading in an NIV Bible, you will notice the red letters that end at verse 15, the formatting and the red letters that tell you that Jesus is talking. And in verse 16, it goes back to normal text. In some translations of the Bible, it actually continues after verse 16 as if this is still the con like Jesus is still talking. Okay. Now here, here is the, here is why that is starting in verse 16, it starts talking about God's son in the third person. So, so some, some Bible translations, because it, it is talking about essentially Jesus in the third person, they say, okay, Jesus wouldn't have stood there and talked about himself in the third person. 
So they assume that this is just John now continuing to write his gospel and making the point that you, like John is now asking the reader to consider what they think about Jesus, not Jesus asking Nicodemus specifically. All right, so now we're going to move on to message. And I want to read these two verses again, because remember at the beginning of this podcast episode, we said we picked this text today because of its familiarity. So I want to go back and read. We meditated on verse 17, but I want to go back now and grab verse 16 and 17, read it again, and then we'll talk about message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What message can we draw from this text? Um, mine was that uh, it, it was on this basis of, of God extending a gracious invitation to us, um, not something that he had to do, um, but he chose to send his son to save us. Um, that's just a gracious invitation. I think I, I'd say that in spite of how desperate our situation is, God doesn't want to leave us there. Like you, th- you think about we're condemned, we're perishing, we're in the darkness, like you, all this description, and yet these, these verses that say, but God loved us, and he didn't, he didn't show up to condemn us. Like he actually, like he said, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to show up. Like there's a reason these verses are so famous, we come back to them. That's a really profound idea, that God didn't want to leave us in our desperate situation. Yeah, for me, the, the, the message is, there is in the kingdom God, in the kingdom of God, and there is outside of the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And then we we see things like you already stand condemned. You you are already perishing. People love the darkness. And so for me, it is it is the simple: there is an outside the kingdom, and there is an in the kingdom, and it is of eternal consequence. He's talking about eternal life and the love of God that invites us in. All right, so then we move on to application. How do we apply this text to our lives? Uh, One of the things that I was looking at was uh, verse 21 says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. And I thought about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Hmm. And it's this idea that like he kind of came in secret to seek out what Jesus had to say uh, and to ask him questions. And um, in my mind, if God has extended this gracious invitation to me, I think I, I have also this invitation to learn more about who he is and his will for my life. And I do that when I read the Bible. And so if I ask questions and if I look at his word and I seek out the truth, that's just going to help me live more in the light. So it's that contrast of, of just seeking, seeking God more. Yeah, I think of a, a, the application for some people uh, is, is like if you feel like you're in the situation of Nicodemus, like you're pretty good and you've never reckoned with, but I got I to gotta come in and cross that line. Like that's, that's, that's a serious consider. That's the application. Like if you ever ever done that. I think for those of us who have done that, we'd say, yeah, we've, we've, we've put our faith in Jesus. We've been born again. Um, there's still that practice of 
regularly walking in the light, coming into the light of saying, um, I don't, I don't want to be someone who, who lives in the darkness. I want uh, my deeds to be seen by God and to, and to be known because, precisely because God loves us. Like that, that coming into the light seems scary. We, we want to be like cockroaches. But the reality is God loves us and he doesn't, he didn't show up so that we would be condemned, but so that we, we'd, we'd live forever. So like there's, a, there's an invitation, that freedom to say, all right, is there something in the darkness I can bring into the light? Uh, my application is about evangelistic fervor. Uh, there, there is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided. And somewhere along the line, especially in the evangelical church, we, we, we started saying, like, let's just talk about the kingdom of God now and all the benefits of the kingdom and how much God loves you. And, and as much as I wouldn't say, let's swing the pendulum back to like fire and brimstone preaching, the reality is... There is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided. There is such thing as eternal life. There is such thing as being in the kingdom and outside the kingdom. And so my application is that, that if that is if that is real, by the way, nobody talked more about hell than who, Nikki? Jesus. Oh, there you go, right? And so my application is if I love people, I want them in the kingdom, which means I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least do my very best to try to help them see Jesus for who he is, and put their faith in Jesus. Can I, can I add a little tag on this story? Just yeah. because we, we're, we're going to read ahead, but we may not comment about it. Nicodemus, this is not the last time he shows up, nope. which is really cool. Like when you talk about like the urgency of this and like the stakes of this, like to know at the end of the gospel, after Jesus has died, you know who's there to help bury him? Nicodemus. Like mm-hmm. the dude comes around after doing all this investigating like he gets born again, so I I, I feel like that's a hopeful uh, yeah, it's a thing. Good, you know, I like I like that. It's a good way to end it. All right, well, friends, thank you for listening this week. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can email us your questions or your suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. We'd love to hear from you. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.